Hello, Jeremy. Oh, hello, Kerry. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm just calling about uh, the idea of having a group of experts managing the COVID-19 response. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe it's a horrendous idea myself. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of reasons why. So wh- one of the greatest physicists of all time, I forget which one it was, but it was Oppenheimer or von, mm-hmm. von Neumann said, every generation you get kind of one new set of ideas in physics. And it's because you get a new cohort come through and do their studies and they kind of challenge the old orthodoxy. And over time, that group kind of forms a cohort and all their thinking goes along the same lines. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that in our epidemiological community in the main here in New Zealand. They seem to be suffering from some kind of horrendous groupthink or biases which are basically making them interpret the data in by far the most negative way that you possibly can and then presenting it as the reality or the mainstream or even conservative. And I'm thinking mainly of like Dr. Jackson, Dr. Baker and Dr. Wiles. Mm. Um, Their papers, uh, their articles in the paper the last, since this has happened, have been borderline, you know, to me, uh, on the border of like misleading the public. Um, So the idea of having them permanently in charge of our response when they don't seem to be able to understand trade-offs I believe it's leading to a one in a hundred year public health scandal rather than a you know credible response to a one in a hundred year pandemic. I, the second, I, I didn't think there was groupthink because there there is dissent among academics about the correct response. I mean, Susie Wiles is all for locking everybody down pretty much forever. Um, yes. And and other epidemiologists are saying, well, no, that's not the right way to go you know, we should be managing it rather than seeking elimination. Yes, there are a couple. So there's um, there's Dr. Thornley and Dr. Sunborn at Auckland University, and, and they, they've become my scientific heroes, I've got to be honest with you, because they have quite rightly looked at the data in a rational manner and stood, out, stood up publicly and, you know, kind of put their careers at risk. And everyone should be really proud that we have those people, but they are in the minority And the other side, like when I look at the scientific community's response overseas, it's been far more reasonable and mild to what we've had here in New Zealand. It's kind of like we've just got two extremes here and it's the extreme that are painting this um, virus completely out of its proportional risk. They're the ones that are currently carrying the day. And the Royal Commission that's going to come is going to be um, very interesting. The second thing that seems to be very... it's kind of highlighted an institutional problem in our epidemiological community is that epidemiology so I'm a very numerate person you know I understand um, exponential and logarithmic decline in growth and um, I, I'm shocked at how poor the numeracy of these of the most of the epidemiologists are and it's because they come from a, a, a medical background or um, you know I kind of Put it as we the, we have bug nerds when we need maths nerds. Um, <laughs> I know and, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And so when I look at the data, um, it, to me, it's quite clear that by locking down, we're we're, we're taking hundreds of times more years off our life, you know, cumulatively as a country, than what the virus can possibly do under the very worst interpretation of the data. Well, I, um, I do think data wonks are having a field day as well around the world. 
um, with the different interpretations that are coming out and the different models that are being produced. And I, I do find it um, interesting and educational reading about the cumulative lives lost when you when you opt for different strategies. Yeah, and I, I mean, just to put it in perspective, our Productivity Commission, so our very own government who's in charge of this response, came out and um, did a report on the four days of extension that we did to lockdown. Um, you know, the benefits versus the costs. And they, yeah. co- they, they said that it would kill 96 times, uh, well, not, sorry, it would take 96 times more years of life off mm. than, than what the virus could do if it, you know, got in in those four days. And that was when they were using an infection fatality ratio of 1.1, which mm. is at least four times too high in my mm. reading of the data. So mm. it's, it, if this was a financial trade, it would be the biggest opportunity of all time. You know, and we're picking the wrong thing. I still think that Bloomberg article, and you may have, you probably read it, was just summed up the the tension between being a public health um, doctor who is committed to preventing any death at any cost. And then you've got got the economist saying there is always a cost, no matter what option you go with. There will be a yeah. cost, and you have to be aware of that. So, a COVID life seems more valuable than a cancer life at the moment. Yeah, well, we don't do this with anything else, right? So, like with the farming budget, we we decide um, we weigh up what what how many lives we can save for the money that we spend. Yes, um, we even do this for things where we choose money over lives. So, for example, the speed limits, right? Yeah, we could we could eliminate four hundred and something road deaths a year if we set the speed limit at five. But we say no. The enjoyment that people get from their lives and the additional money they get from having so so we you know so now that people are saying if you lose a different if you allow a single life to be lost to COVID you're a granny killer. Yes, it's just emotive nonsense. And I, I tell tell me about it. I have reached peak foul word uh, because of daring to suggest that perhaps you know there's another way of managing this. The text's yeah. just uh, <laughs> granny killer's the nicest thing I've heard. I know, and because um, I think it's like another thing that's been lost is like I'm criticising most of the epidemiologists and the public health people. Yeah, I don't think they're bad people. No. You know, <laughs> you know they're, they're obviously nice people, but I, you know, I'm finding it so hard to not be rude and dis- disrespectful when I communicate with them because because it's so damaging what they're doing. And the other point I'd like to just quickly make is that, you know, people are saying it's health versus wealth. And I think that's understanding the economy completely wrong. The economy is like how we provide for ourselves and, mm. you know, afford things that make our lives better, including health. So, you know, when, when over the next three years, it's going to be a horrendous disaster. And it seems New Zealand is, is positioning itself to pay the maximum possible price it can. Um, when when the economy goes down one percent, it takes 0.11 years off all of our lives, according to previous research. It's one of the highest in the OECD. So just this year, with our GDP going down point about five percent, which is projected, and I think is too low, you're talking about two million seven hundred fifty thousand years of life lost. I if re- the virus, mm-hmm. sorry, if the virus comes in and kills three thousand New Zealanders, which is horrendous, and then and is the kind of worst-case scenario, it's going to take about two, thousand, uh, two years off per person who dies. So it's, we're talking about 2.7 million versus 6,000. It's just, 
it's a no-brainer what we should be doing. I'd be really interested to see those um, stats on the GDP and years of life lost, if you have them. Kerry at newstalkzb.co.nz. Thank you very much for an interesting observation.